if you try to control too much, then mm -hmm. you're not leading. You're reacting to what I you see. When I say lead, it's not come behind me. You know, it's right. we are together yeah. and I have to embrace the whole group and making them feeling good. As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Louis, welcome to the podcast series of the Talent Magnet Institute. Thank you so much for taking time for this conversation. Thank you, Daniel. It's great pleasure for me. Great pleasure to see you. So, Louis, we're going to talk about leadership and leadership and management appear to be kind of an intangible art. Business leaders like me and many others, we're seeking for learning from the arts and from other areas about good leadership and to get inspired. And as much as I've shared with you that I love music as a hobby to my soul, I've discovered observing you as a conductor and listening to the wonderful music you perform with the orchestra, becoming a big inspiration for me to think about leadership, which is why I started to develop that analogy about I've never conducted an orchestra, but what I observe of you leading and playing an orchestra, having wonderful analogies about me and others leading a team, leading a business. And that's conversation topic for today that I would like us to get into would love to learn from you as a conductor of an orchestra, of many orchestras, how you lead and play an orchestra. But before getting into the topic, Louis, if you don't mind to introduce yourselves to the audience so that they know who you are and get some of that understanding, and then we'll get into the topic. Well, I'm a conductor. I come from France. I have been music director in Liège, Orchestre Philharmonique Royale de Liège, in Opéra National de Lyon in the Glyndebourne Touring Opera, chef dirigent with the Camerata Salzburg. So there are very, very different organizations. I mean, opera, orchestra, symphony orchestra, chamber orchestras, and also, yeah, in New York, most Mozart Festival, which mm -hmm. is also different kind. As you have noticed, when you come to a concert, obviously, the conductor is the only musician on stage who doesn't produce any sound. Right. So there is always this question which comes to me, people asking, can you play every instrument? Of course not. And this is very similar to us, to any director or CEO. Can you do what they do? No. But we have to create the conditions in which everyone will be able to give their best and create the conditions of, for me, the musical dialogue. Yeah, where energy and talent make something absolutely uh, unique, not only fantastic, but unique. And the identity of a group is very important. Their collective culture. Every right. musician comes with their own culture. Right. And then they have to bring and they have to take from the group. And it's quite amazing to see with the greatest orchestras are always orchestra who have a DNA, a specific DNA, an identity 
a style that you can recognize immediately. Louis, you've already opened a huge field of topics I would like us to cover. Thank you very much for opening that space. So if we probably start maybe very high level, you just made a very interesting comment. You're not playing an instrument, but you're kind of playing the orchestra. So can you talk about, I mean, how do you lead? How do you lead an orchestra? How do you make it to play? What do you envision them to do? What the composer envisioned in the piece? Yeah, there is a part I can explain, and there is also a mysterious part. Right. I'm still amazed. You know, you arrive on the podium, you give the first beat, and everybody plays. And yes. of course, you expect that everybody would play, but in the same time, it's quite amazing. Then, of course, it's not that everybody has to play, but how do you want them to play? So right. you always have to think in three different ways. When you conduct, your gesture has to anticipate the sound, the quality of sound, the, the specific sound you want to provoke. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want a very edgy sound and you do that, it will be completely confusing for the musicians. If they see an accent and you give that, then mm -hmm. everybody's petrified and paralyzed and you right. kill the music. If from what they see on their score and what, what they see on the gesture correspond, then it's like an amplification. So the first thing is probably, I mean, I have not a big knowledge of your work, but we have a score or you have a plan, a strategy. Uh, we have the score. I mean, I'm not the composer. I'm not the creator. I'm the interpret. So what mm -hmm. does interpret mean? It's not that I want to say many things and I use a piece to say what I feel and what I want to say. I'm not using the composer's piece, work, mm -hmm. but I read it through the prism of my own sensitivity, sensibility, experience, everything which make each of us unique. Of course, it's not, but it is the same. I think everybody has felt that when you read a book that you deeply love. I mean, you love it so much that you have the feeling that this book was written about you, you know, this sort of strong feelings that right. you have the feeling that only you can experience that. And actually, some people write it and write it so specifically. It's wonderful. And then you see that this book is going to be presented on a movie with the best actors, people you love, your river. And most of the time, I mean, 99% of the time, you go at the movie theater, you see the film and you feel, but that's not the book. Right. It, it's complete, it betrayed completely the book. No, but even words which are very concrete, very matter of fact, I mean, a table is a table, a tree, a house, but we translate it through the filter of who we are. Right. And everybody does that. So the conductor is not here to say, I feel that, I think that, but we feel the composer wanted that, the composer and how envisioned this. How do we know? Well. We musicians, we have to be like archaeologists. The composer has his vision or her vision, and then they write with the material 
yeah, keys, orchestration, tempo, mm -hmm. all, all of that. And we do the contrary. We take the note, the score, and we try to go as deep as we can and try to find this original idea. I mean, talking about the score and the composer, I perceive it that way. Obviously, the score is the tool for the composer to express him or herself to a conductor, to an orchestra, what they envision as music to play. I understand you just say, I, you have to go a little bit the other way around. Because yes, you see the score, but you need to kind of go deeper behind it. And I remember in the conversation you had with Julia Adolf someone last year, the discussion was there about how big is that room of interpretation for you as a conductor and how much do you have to or want to have the empathy in terms of expressing what the composer had in mind, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Then comes the very mysterious part, because of course we need to analyze it to find the structure, to identify the tension or the culmination, how the yes. is built. And then this is the mysterious part. The more you know a score, the more you can let freedom to your musicians. That's mm. something very, very mysterious. If you're not very sure, you sort of micromanage. Micromanage. And yeah. you no, 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 here, I want that and that and that. And at the, the result makes that the players are guilty. I mean, they don't want to do wrong yes. instead of wanting to do right. And this is the conductor's fault or uh, talent. To find that right balance between both. Exactly. And the more clear you are, if the musician feels that you know exactly where you want them to go, then there is plenty of room for Space. them to play. Yes. And I think, I think it's the same thing in any group of people. I just wanted to build on that analogy because indeed the score, as you have just identified, that's what I see in business to be a vision, to be a strategy, to be the plan, to be the master plan based on which you really align all the different functions, all the different individuals, to the point to be, let's say, directive enough that everyone is aligned of what we want to get accomplished. So what is the music that we want to play? Who is the audience that we want to please? And there is a lot of room in between of interpretation. So to be directive enough, but at the same time, you mentioned that word as well, Louis, to not to be micromanaging, and shorten the creative potential and the capability, the strength and the intrinsic motivation of all the individuals in the team to become true directed and not really bring all their creativity and their strength to play. So it's that exact same thing on a fine line. And at the same time, one of the things that intrigued me so much to understand orchestrating a team in business much better is, and I envision that's the same in orchestra, every musician has to know his or her part of what they have to contribute, obviously what's in front of them and what they are supposed to perform. But at the same time, to know only this cannot be enough. If they don't understand the bigger picture, your vision as the conductor, the vision of the composer, there will be significant shortcomings. That's kind of an analogy that I drew away is that not only to provide people to know exactly what they need to know, but to always invest time to explain more around it. And the other thing that I've learned so much from the analogy of the orchestra, how important it seems for the new musicians to listen to each other. And that's maybe some of the most difficult things I've experienced in business 
that people perform their role, they work within a team, within a department, but how well do they listen to the other apartment? How well do they interact? Because ultimately the performance as a whole of a team will not come if everyone just does her or his small part, but they need to listen to each other. Absolutely. There are a lot of analogies based on what you have just outlined in terms of the score and your impact to lead, but at the same time, find that right balance to not be micromanaging. Absolutely. And I mean, the first thing that musicians do at the beginning of every rehearsal or every concert, they tune together. Mm-hmm. They tune, they make sure that they have the same A on the, the yeah, they tune on this A. Right. For- 40, so 440 frequencies. Mm-hmm. Um, if some musicians play, what, 1% below, so yeah. 44 or four under, yeah. only, it's inaudible. It's impo- yes, you yes. don't have any music anymore. So only 1%. Right. So we play in a world where uh, just not be synced, I mean, on half a second of difference of an attack is intolerable for us. Right. So this high degree of precision requires you you right to listen to each other. You know, there is not one wind instrument, for instance, who play perfectly in tune. I mean, every instrument has their specificity. Mm -hmm. So when we have a team, when we have musicians playing together for years, every day for years and years and decades. They know that the colleague has an instrument where the E, for instance, is a little bit low, and the other know also all that, and they play together and they help each other mm-hmm. together, and no one notices it, even not me. That's something you cannot really influence, but you're depending on their capability to listen to each other and know each other, and it's obviously not only a character of the musician, but also character of the instruments that need to be tuned. Exactly. But uh-huh. it's both. I mean, if you ask, again, we live in the, in the same world. I mean, if you ask every musician to play a piece the best they can, mm-hmm. in their own tempo, with their own intensity or whatever, it's going to be a cacophony. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not to give your best, it's to give your best within this general frame, ID, and group of people. A good orchestra is not top soloists. Mm -hmm. They need to have an individuality and their own voice, but -hmm. they need to know how to blend, how to accommodate, how to balance with their colleague. They need also to trust their colleague they need to trust the conductor, and the conductor need to trust them. them. There are in many organizations, you know, I remember not with orchestras, some people say, oh my God, my boss he's, takes always the, the wrong decision. It's, it's just impossible for uh, us musicians. If you go and sit next to the timpani or the horns behind the horns, what do you hear? You hear this microclimate. You just hear the horns, actually. So you need to trust the person on the podium, the conductor, for the balance. Right. And for the intonation, for the ensemble, especially now with COVID, because there is this distancing, which is so hard. And actually, probably 
at the end of this crisis, we might play better because it's much more difficult to hear each other. Therefore, you have to listen 10 times more. Right. I would like to get back to that topic about crisis to be an opportunity to get better or even an opportunity to innovate. So I'll, I'll get back to that. But before, I would like to touch on one thing again, again, that there seems to be so many complex variables that have to be tuned, that have to be synchronized, orchestrated. Now, you being the music director of the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra for a few years now, I assume you got to know the sound of the orchestra, the musicians. How is it if you happen to be a guest conductor somewhere else where you have maybe two or three rehearsals before a performance where there is not years of time to get to know each other? How do you deal with that additional complexity in a very, very short amount of time to manage all of those components? It is a different work. When you are a guest conductor, you come for five days. So it's much more seduction between, mm -hmm. I mean, of course, you need to love the sound of the orchestra. If you want to change the sound of an orchestra in such a short amount of time, right. you're going to fail mm -hmm. because musicians have their tradition, which has, with some orchestra, centuries of traditions. And it's amazing to see how musicians, when they enter in an orchestra, little by little, they blend into this group. So wanting to change them at first is very arrogant and is absolutely ridiculous. To me, uh, this is a wonderful analogy to business, to culture of a business, to culture of a team, to culture of a company. We like the idea as leaders that we have an impact on culture, and I think we do have. But at the same time, we think we should never be too arrogant to be too big of an impact or that we can even define a culture or even try to lead. I mean, over time, and I think you brought the time component into it, you can, I think, have influence to impact its evolution and some of the components, but it is the sum of so many interactions of so many people. And it looks like that's kind of the sound of an orchestra where you just realize, or you just said that you have to realize as a conductor that you have a limited impact in a short amount of time on the sound of an orchestra, short time, you need to work with whatever it is. It might only be over time that you have the, really the chance to kind of design it or change it. Yes, and yet, if there is this trust and this fertile relationship, you can change so much. Because if people feel that, musician feels that not only you know exactly what you want, but you are with them. You don't conduct the music, you conduct the musicians. And if you let them freedom, but you also give them this sort of security of knowing where we are going, right. then it's so strange. You know, at the Wiener Staatsoper, in the Vienna State Opera, for repertoire pieces, you have zero rehearsal. First time you see the orchestra. Zero. zero. First time you see the orchestra, is in front of the audience. Mm -hmm. So I have conducted many pieces, uh, Don Giovanni, Figaro, Traviata, Yevgeny Onegin, and it's very mysterious because when you feel this trust, mutual trust, you can go anywhere. 
Does that come along with insecurities as well? I mean, the musician can rehearse and practice by playing the instrument. You as a conductor, you don't play that instrument, but it is indeed the interaction with the orchestra. So actually you have to jump into a performance without any chance to kind of rehearse with your instrument, which is the orchestra. Does that come then along with insecurities? And if yes, I mean, how do we overcome those? Insecurity, I don't know. Tension. Tension, yeah. But they know the piece. I know the piece. I remember with a, an orchestra, it was my dear mentor, Semyon Bichkov. I remember a Shostakovich symphony, which was absolutely fabulous, but one of the greatest concerts of my life. And the musicians applauded them. And then I had a friend who was horn player and said, so tell me, what is so magical with Bichkov? And he told me, well, you know, it's very easy. He let us play as we want. And of course it was wrong because they right. played the way he wanted. Wanted, yeah. Give, he gave them the feeling that they were able to offer their best together. And mm-hmm. that's one of the secrets of conducting. You know, it's not, oh, the conductor is imposing his view, but the conductor is leading. I remember I spoke with a one of the concertmaster of the Vienna Philharmonic, who is the orchestra who plays in the pit of the Vienna State Opera. He told me, you know, we are, we are like these horses in the Spanish ride school. I don't know how you, you pronounce yeah. that. He said, when the cavalier just do a little and the horse knows exactly what they yes. yeah. 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 have to do. If you're like that, and all that then... The, it paralyzes the energy and it, everything goes wrong. Yeah. Do you vary the way you conduct depending on how well you know the orchestra? So are there ways of, of variation where, for example, if you did not have any time at all to rehearse, where you give more freedom, trusting that they know the piece, and then you keep your leadership, your contribution there a little bit more general, whereas is there a tendency then to go deeper because you know better? Is that a variation that happens in terms of how you lead and conduct? Not really, because if you try to control too much, then mm-hmm. you're not leading, you're reacting to what I you see. When I say lead, it's not come behind me. You know, it's right. not, we are together yeah. and have to embrace the whole group and making them feeling good. Mm-hmm. Why does a group want to give their best on some occasions? In some other occasions, they still want to do to give their best, but they can't. Right. So I think with a quite often I hear, oh my God, this conductor was so passionate or whatever. It's not about the conductor to be passionate. It's the, the conductor has to make the musician playing mm-hmm. appassionato. It's not right. My, right. And when there is a moment when you can let the musician play. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're not fully there. Mm-hmm. I remember very well, actually, that was in Glyndebourne with the London Philharmonic Orchestra. We did Noce di Figaro, and voi che sapete, Mozart imitates for the orchestra like a picking, like a Eric Clapton accompaniment <laughs> <laughs> with the strings, without yeah. both. And I wanted to go and listen in the hall for the balance. So I went there in the hall. They played without conductor. And I thought, wow, this sounds so beautifully well. So 
I told them, and we had, I think, 17 performances. 17. I told them, I won't, I won't beat. I just give the, the beginning. But I was conducting. I was mm -hmm. with them. I was at every performance. Everyone was smiling, waiting for this moment. And for the last performance, on a very nice gesture, the concertmaster offered me a glass of champagne, you know, so I can listen mm -hmm. to them. And of course, I had to take it. And it was such right. a nice gesture. But then I was drinking and listening. I was not conducting anymore. And right. it was not as great as it was in the previous performances. I was not beating. It was not like a traffic cop, you know. Mm -hmm. I was just 100% with them. They didn't need... Drum beat. That yes. yeah. But they needed me to unify them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the interesting analogy too. I mean, different situations in business, different experience of teams. What I've experienced is enabling, empowering, encouraging is probably the most powerful that we can do as a leader. Sometimes to the point that we probably even make ourselves a little bit obsolete. Like what you've just described, that might be those moments where it just goes almost by itself because everyone knows what to do and you have the right people at the right place. And they listen well to each other to be tuned, to go in the same tempo and so on. So this is a wonderful analogy as well. And what you've just explored as well or described as well. On the other hand, if you try to force too much and push too much, it so quickly gets counterproductive, which is then even destructive, demotivating people perceived like being micromanaged and so on. So very, very fine lines and balances. Absolutely. I mean, if a musician comes in an orchestra, in my orchestra, or a, if a, you hire somebody in your company, it's because they are good. They are not going to have talents because of you, but exactly. you will give them the possibility of bring the best of themselves, share the best, and take the best, and to be part of that community, of that group. But yes. it's not the conductor who gives talent. It's the conductor who allows and creates the possibility, the conditions of the blossoming of this talent. Yes. And then, of course, as we all know, many talents together is not an addition, it's a multiplication. Absolutely. And I think that's one of those bridges that I strongly not only believe, but made experience in terms of it is about having the right people at the right place, understanding their intrinsic motivation, their strength, and to really give them that space to perform based on their motivation, their strengths, where you're right, you cannot give talent. You can kind of guide and lead talent to orchestrate and synchronize with others to further nurture talent. I think that's one of the things I think there is impact of leaders to kind of do, right? By enabling, empowering, encouraging, motivating. I think these are all those components which seems to be great similarities in terms of you leading an orchestra or conducting to what we do in business. So again, very, very inspiring analogies, Louis. Talking about the crisis. For more than a year now, we're in a global pandemic, major impacts to the arts overall, to orchestras, the business model that happened to work for centuries before a pandemic does not work from one day to another. I remember the Beethoven Academy in February, which was the last big concert in music hall before things got kind of shut down. Talk to us a little bit about your role as a leader to help musicians and an orchestra through a crisis. I mean, you just mentioned 
we perform or the symphony orchestra performs differently digital streamings but more space on stage not that close to each other which has impact on listening to each other so talk about the artistic component please but at the same time also i imagine it's a tough time not playing in front of an audience to stay motivated can you talk about that pure leadership aspect a little bit as well yeah you're right it's so difficult and i couldn't imagine that it would be that difficult so quite often before because our lives is, are so fast and stressed and you have to do millions of things together in the same time. And you feel, oh, I need a sabbatical. But this crisis is not a sabbatical. Suddenly being isolated from each other mm-hmm. is just terrible. So what I miss is not even music, it's communication, it's being, sharing something with the others, be together. And for for an orchestra is probably we are going to be the last to open. I mean, chor- now choruses are even more dramatic because of the distancing. I mean, to mm-hmm. to perform a Mozart requiem, you you need to go in the big stadium. But in the darkness, there is always some beautiful things and and some light. As I mentioned before, yes, it's much harder to hear each other because musicians are distanced by six feet for the one who have masks, eight mm-hmm. for the others, and now eight, but before it was 12 feet plus plexiglass. So it mm-hmm. was almost mission impossible, but only almost. I mean, the mm-hmm. first rehearsal, I thought, it's never going to work. And actually, little by little, now we go to another normality, and we have experienced some beautiful moments of of music it's also quite intimidating because it requires courage when you can't hear really your colleagues to play full sound because if you don't you know when you have you had before 16 first violins now we have seven so no place to hide no place to give a bit less it needs full energy and commitment from uh, all the all the musicians but they with the distancing just the distance makes that the timpanis and the brass very far have to anticipate everything they shouldn't listen mm-hmm. because if they listen they react if they react they are too late so they have to trust me and they have right. to go with me and that's very frustrating on for the people who are sitting so further away from the, the, the hall to play without listening. But I think we'll be stronger after that as an organization, as also in our style, you know, in, the, in our palette of, because of course you, for instance, classical music, I mean, Mozart, Haydn, these are composers that symphony orchestra plays very rarely, because when you play Mozart symphony, it means that half of the orchestra is staying at home. Mm-hmm. So yes. therefore you play much bigger pieces. Right. So here, for instance, we are going to play Mozart pieces, mm-hmm. but because it's only half of the orchestra, I divide the orchestra in two orchestras. Two orchestras then. And each orchestra will play a different repertoire. Repertoire. Mm-hmm. So it's 
very good, very healthy for the soul, for the hygiene. I mean, the musical hygiene of, mm -hmm. you know, especially classical music. If somebody vibrates a little bit too much or doesn't vibrate at all when it requires, you hear it, you mm -hmm. feel it, and you see it when you're immersed, emerged in an ocean of musicians. It's very hard to say it's you, but mm -hmm. here now, now you can. But also, it requires imagination. It requires flexibility. And with these big orchestras, you know, it's not always synonymous of flexibility and like any big organization. But now, with the, with this pandemic, we have to adapt. And of course, during the last year, not that I want to open the wounds anymore, but. It was not only the COVID crisis, it was an economic, financial, political, racial crisis. And all the, the addition of this makes that we are not living in an ivory tower. We need to respond artistically, to send an artistic message to that. That's why we programmed on the, every program a piece with a black composer mm -hmm. and some women composers and some underrepresented minorities. I think this crisis made everybody to rethink the fact that the world was stopped, gives you this possibility of rethink and give more space and depth to the reflection of that. I appreciate you bringing even the, the bigger context to it. And I mean, I remember we had a, you and I had a brief chat about a couple of weeks ago where could be depressing and certainly it's depressing for a lot of people and musicians not be able to be in sta on stage, right? And play in front of an audience. On the other hand, you just described wonderful ways where, well, it is probably also a catalyst for some change. It sharpens the senses, right? Because you're playing in smaller setups, which is an opportunity to explore things that might not be able to be explored. Not that it's good that we have such a crisis, but again, there are opportunities. And I think What I've always perceived in a business where I've also been lived through business crisis, whether it was a fire in a plant, whether there was the financial crisis or losing a big customer, is kind of to get that turnaround of mindset in terms of to not resignate, but really look for the opportunities and to use it as a catalyst for change. I mean, it's certainly always more comfortable if you are in control and have your agenda on how you want to make change and happen and the speed of it instead of having an external crisis, an external factor, like we all experienced terribly, of losing complete control uh, about a year ago, what happens around us. But as a leader, to take that responsibility to look for those opportunities and drive change and make it probably even as a become a catalyst for some innovation as well. So thank you very much, Louis, for adding that uh, additional context. If I look at my list of questions, there is probably more questions that I still have that we haven't discussed yet, but please... To finish on, on that, we are very lucky. I mean, I feel so lucky to be part of this organization because when you compare to the situation with the major orchestras, you know, the New York Philharmonic has not performed together since March. They give these little uh, chamber music concerts. But as an orchestra, they haven't. Boston Symphony hasn't performed concerts with the people in the audience. Now, We have, I think, given a very strong perception of the repertoire through our streamed concerts, mm -hmm. uh, trying to be as imaginative and 
always trying to give, yes, a perspective. Music is not just, you know, entertainment and beautiful right. roles. Right. Meaning, it needs a purpose. And I'm very proud that all of us have been proposing that. It's also, compared to the orchestra who don't play at all, of course, we had, in our plan, we had to make major tour in Europe, playing in the Berlin Philharmonie, in the Vienna Musikverein, etc. This was cancelled, but we play now in the only concert hall in the world, which is internet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, anyone can see our concert, so it's much bigger than just a European tour. It's right. And that's something very important. Yes, it doesn't replace the concert, the experience in person, but we did it. We Now we did, of course, limited audience, 300 people, persons in, in the auditorium. These are the rules to be safe, and we want to be safe. We don't want to gamble with the, the health of anyone, but it is wonderful. It is wonderful for the audience. It is wonderful for us. In the beginning, you feel, oh, streaming, that's fantastic. But then nothing can replace in-person experience. And at the end, I mean, that's what I perceive. We will not be having it either or. It's going to be probably continuously both, right? So, I mean, again, I've been to the symphony so many times to please my soul. And by the way, intellectually also to explore the analogy that we just talked about. But at the same time, maybe that streaming would not have happened without that. And I mean, to intend to continue that way and to have a global audience. I mean, what a wonderful, let's say, outcome of a crisis of having used it as a catalyst to innovate and to change. So in that respect, very, very inspiring conversation. Again, I've discovered some new nuances and components to the analogy. Like I said, there are still more questions and I hope we have the chance at one point of time to get to more of that. But I appreciate your time today, inspiring not only me, but our listeners to think of an orchestra, to think of you as a conductor to lead and to take those learnings and observations to business. And hopefully a lot of our listeners, as soon as we can, be back or be to Music Hall and experience what we just now talked about. So thank you so much for your time, Louis, and can't wait for you and the orchestra being very regular out again in Music Hall and in front of audiences. Absolutely. Do come back. We experience the same thing in not only in music, but in any company or corporation, etc. It's this Goethe phrase, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Absolutely. And I'm sure there are some disasters, some terrible and tragedies. But at the end, let's hope, and I think we can be stronger. Yes. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you very much, Louis. And again, you make us stronger with that inspiration. And that was exactly what I was looking for. So thank you so much for your time. And like I said before, when we were on the phone, I can't wait to see you back on stage. It was wonderful to see Francois last weekend and can't wait to be in Music Hall and enjoy that. So thank you so much. Thank you. A bientôt. A très bientôt. Bonne soirée. Merci. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. 
You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr., Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.